Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. My personal perspective is that we have all these idioms around don't rock the boat, don't open up a can of worms, better sweep it under the rug. We have all these ways to say shut the fuck up and don't pick that battle. But what we're really doing is we're saying it is more important to make that other person feel okay than it is for you to speak up for yourself. And what that is oftentimes is a self-worth thing. Like that person's wants, opinions, needs are more important than mine. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's really important that we don't allow silence to make us a liar. I, and that's that's my personal perspective is I'm not going to go along with something or be complicit with something that I don't agree with without being vocal about it. But it does not mean a full-blown conversation. So I will shut that shit down real quick. Like with my brother, he'll want to keep going, going, going. And I'm like, I told you already, I'm not going to engage with you about this conversation. And it will literally walk away from him. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Amy, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Absolutely. I'm, I'm pumped to be here. Yeah. So I found out about your work by way of somebody on your team. And as I was saying before we hit record here, I went and visited your website and it was just one of those things where it was like, yes, this person is fascinating just based on the language they use as well as the design of the website. But before we get into all of that, I want to start by asking what I think is a very relevant question given the nature of your work. And that is what social group were you a part of in high school and what impact did that end up having on the choices that you've made throughout your life and your career? Oh, wow. That's so interesting. I think you and I are very similar in age. I think you're, you may be one year older than me. So do you remember the show, uh, Daria? You know what? I know that sounds familiar. Yeah, I do. Is it a cartoon? It's a cartoon. It was an MTV show. And she was super like moody and kind of gothic. And Mm -hmm. her sister was the very popular girl in high school. I was very much Daria. (laughs) I was the one who was in choir and in drama. And I went to an extremely conservative born again, Christian high school. And that was how I was raised. So I, it it was very interesting because there was only about 30 of us in my graduating class. So the, the social groups were of like six people, you know? So I was friends with people who were kind of the jocks, friends with people who were the nerds, but I was kind of right there in the middle. But I did have a lot of rebellion around the social structure structure that I was raised in. And I was kind of branded as somebody who, I kind of got a bad reputation with the administration, not necessarily with my classmates, but as somebody who was outspoken and maybe 
maybe kind of a bad kid when in reality I was inc- I was so straight edge and <laughs> very buttoned up, but I just really bucked against a lot of the system where, you know, we weren't allowed to have ripped jeans, let's say, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I would t- to make a statement, duct tape my jeans and say, okay, do I look more like a Christian now? Do you think God is more on board now that I have, you Mm. know, duct tape jeans since there's no holes because God forbid we have that. So I was always kind of pushing the boundaries. And, you know, when there was certain dogma around, you know, Abraham sacrificing Isaac, my hand would shoot straight up like, well, now, wait a minute. Now, (laughs) if God told you to sacrifice your kid, you're going to be on board because God says, so I was always kind of contesting that. And I think at that time it was a lot more adversarial and I can definitely see that as I, as I grew up and in my later relationship with my parents. But I think that has a huge bearing on the work that I do now that is all truly about finding your voice and what that actually means. Cause that sounds wildly coachy and mm-hmm. jargony to say, Oh, be your authentic self or yeah. find your voice. It's like, well, what the hell does that mean? It really means just speaking up for yourself in, in a way in which you're proud and not conforming to everybody else's expectations. Yeah. So one thing, you know, you mentioned uh, being a born again Christian. Were you raised with super like religious parents? Like, did you have like really strict religious beliefs uh, as part of your upbringing? Absolutely. I mean, it was, Srini, it was intense. It <laughs> we so my the private school I went to when I was in elementary school, it was like it was militant. Prepare for prepare for spelling. And we had to like get our stuff out, set it very specifically on the desk, fold our hands at attention and sit there. Um, If it was, you know, prepare for recess, we all stood up, lined up, got in a very orchestrated line, no talking all the way to the playground. And when I, and, and so pretty much my entire life was a mixture of a very conservative school and then also a whole onslaught of social activities with the church. And so I, there was a lot of that. And I think being somebody who is incredibly creative and kind of a wild person at heart, I always thought like, why couldn't I have been born on just like a hippie commune where we all like (laughs) got together and made music or, you know, basket weaved together, you know, um, but I now know that it was really incredible that I had the upbringing that I did. But yeah, it was incredibly dogmatic and a lot of a lot of motivation from guilt and fear. Mm-hmm. So, you know, whoever you are, whatever your intuition really is, we're disregarding that. And, you know, and now I think, you know, my view of religion is, uh, I think, a majority of sort of the patriarchal influences through religion. Um so, yeah, I mean, I could go down that, that yeah, route. I mean, would, you know, I mean, I have so many more questions about this. So uh, the thing that I think we uh, look at religion, you know, in a lot of ways we see sort of, you know, Waco, for example, right now on TV. And I remember because I grew up when that happened and yeah. I was in ninth grade. But, you know, you also, you know, alluded to the hippie commune. And it's funny because I've had people who've been sort of raised uh, from both sides. And it seems like there are positive and negatives to both of this. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. from what I understand about church and, and faith, right? There's something, obviously, millions of people around the world wouldn't have some semblance of faith if there wasn't a positive benefit to it. Sure. So, 
what's the upside? Like, what are the good things that came from that that have influenced your life forward? Because I think you've alluded to the bad things. And I do want to come back to what you said about your parents. But what are the, because I think that religion really, what I realized from my own parents is it's not necessarily about religion as much as it is about community. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I I think, you know, the, my first thought was what, you know, a great benefit was that I got a really incredible education. And because of being in a private school my whole life. And, you know, other than that, I think it really was something that, um, to, to your initial question, I think a lot of people genuinely need to believe, we need to believe in something, you know, for us to be forward moving. And I think that shows up in a lot of different ways for people. Now, for me, I... I truly believe in myself. You know, I believe in the greater good. I believe in a universal force. So it's not necessarily that I think that the the faith is wrong or the mm-hmm. or the the religion is wrong. It's to me the problem that I find is when it is uh, only one right answer. That there's not a multitude of ways to have faith and to believe yeah. and to find inspiration or you know just sort of the lack of leaning into intuition, which I believe is our own internal God, our own internal. Uh, divinity. But I do think that I was very uniquely blessed with my parents in particular, that although there was a lot of strict, rigid belief structure, they still were quite good at fostering my own individuality and who I was. So even though, you know, in my senior year, I got in trouble for writing the word ass in our senior class wills, my parents still looked at it like, well, I don't necessarily think the punishment fit the crime. And, and so I, I feel as though they, they still gave me a lot of freedom to speak my truth and who I was. And, you know, my mom always said, well, you never have to wonder what Amy's thinking <laughs> because I would just <laughs> tell everybody. And, um, so I, I think I was uniquely blessed in my family of origin uh, with that scenario, because I think a lot of my friends weren't. Um, but I, I also will concur that it, the community was fantastic. I mean, the summer camps and the events that I did were wonderfully uniting and vulnerable and intimate. So I can certainly see that that perspective. Yeah. When you're in a high school of 30 people, um, do you have the same sort of social hierarchy that you do in, say, you know, a typical high school of like four or 500 people where you have like this very clear division of sort of social standing of, hey, here are the geeks, here are the popular people, here are the theater freaks. Um, and then, of course, you know, theater typically at most high schools is this like liberal hotbed. I know because a good amount of my friends were in theater. My roommate was a theater person. Yeah. Um, my best friend was a theater person. We were in, in marching band together, but it was kind of like, oh, if you want to, you know, experiment with drugs in high school and, you know, it basically go through that evolution really fast. Theater is the place to go. <laughs> How does that work in a, a situation where you're in such a conservative environment? Well, um, I do need to clarify too. So my graduating class was around 60. There was two okay. different groups. So there was 30 and 30, but the whole school was maybe about two to 300 people. So just for yeah. a bit of context, but uh, the, re- <laughs> with regard to the social standing and there really was not a liberal sect, um, there really just wasn't one. And so even, 
even as outspoken as I was, I mean, it there was still uh, an nobody was pro-choice. Nobody. Wow. Um, so it didn't matter truly if you were a part of the drama geeks. I mean, we were doing like Agatha Christie and very benign works. Um, and sometimes even biblical based stuff that was like this modern day story of Job or things like that. So it really it was it was quite soft in in a lot of that. And in fact, I don't even know as if I was introduced to anybody who had more of a liberal perspective until I went to, I took one year, my junior year and went to a public school. And I was like, what the, (laughs) what is this? But, but I loved it. I mean, I really have always been truly open in wanting to hear everybody's perspective and understand um, multiple backgrounds and things like that. So I don't, I don't think it really was a Definitely not from a conservative, uh, liberal perspective, but but yeah, there definitely were cliques of who hung out with who and who was popular and who was nerdy and but everybody kind of just were, was fine with that. Like, here's who I am in this structure. Yeah. So speaking of perspective, you, you just alluded to the fact that everybody, uh, like nobody at your school was pro-choice. So. Uh, and the thing that I, I wonder about situations like that, you know, as this sort of person who you know went to Berkeley as an undergrad, clearly liberal based on everything anybody has ever heard in this podcast, you know, yeah. I'll watch a documentary and I'll see people who are pro-choice and like I even see or are pro-life and, and there's even now college groups on campuses where, you know, there are people basically gathering like these huge pro-life student clubs. What I wonder is, what do you think the misperceptions from somebody like me are of those types of people based on the media that I consume? Ooh, that's excellent. Excellent question. I think, I think that there's a fundamental difference between, and I, I, this is, I would say this based off of the intellectual communities of both parties, because I do think that there are both sides that are wildly uneducated about, you know, when, like uh, heart cells being able to beat in a Petri dish and people assuming that if there's a heartbeat that that must mean that it's a, you know, a full-blown human. So, you know, I think that there's lack of education in, in both, both realms. I have a really great friend of mine who by all, by all uh, standards is completely opposite than I. And she is pro-life. She is, you know, believes marriage is between a man and a woman, um, all of this stuff. So we've had some really great conversations about this. And one of the things that I think she was so shocked to hear that I do see quite often when I engage with people like my mom, who's who's pro-life, is this idea that so many people are pro-choice simply because they, whether or not it's a moral decision for them or not, or if they feel like it's an acceptable thing to do, they're very clear that they don't believe that it's the government's call, period. And that, I find, is really shocking to pro-life people. They're like, oh, really? We assumed you just don't value life, <laughs> right? So on the opposite end, I think, I think it really is a fundamental difference about when life begins. and. I personally don't view it that way. I have a very different spiritual perspective. I think that the 
spirit chooses to inhabit a body when it's viable. And, you know, I don't, I don't think that there's any problem with, um, Wow, this is really not where I thought we were going to go, Serena. But, <laughs> but that's I've been awesome to do that to people. I love it. I love it. Um, but I just, it, I think that that is our decision of if if we want to bring that into the world or not. And I think that a majority of pro lifers really truly believe that it is actually murder. That it is taking out another soul, and um, that that goes against a lot of the doctrine around thou shalt not murder and that that is a, a primal sin. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably one of the biggest divisions. My One of my biggest arguments, which I'm sure you've seen floating around, is the idea of I feel like it really falls into the realm of pro-birth. I don't think it's really pro-life because if it's pro-life, we'd be helping the kids in the cages and we would be caring about uh, the underprivileged and those who need who need attention and assistance. And it doesn't, it seems like, yes, you need to be born, but then we could give two shits about you. That yeah. That seems to be the perspective that I've been holding as of late. So we know a lot of you have been listening to us for years, and it means the world to us. What we do here at The Unmistakable Creative wouldn't be possible without the support of our listeners. If the podcast has been valuable to you, one of the best ways you can support us is to subscribe to Unmistakable Creative Prime, which gives you access to transcripts, all of our courses, monthly coaching calls, live chats with our guests, and an incredible community of creatives. And it costs less than you spend on a cup of coffee every month. For the school teachers and people in our education system, Prime is completely free to help you with this transition to teaching online. We've packed it with a ton of value and actionable content, and we hope you'll check it out. Just go to unmistakablecreative.com slash prime to learn more. Again, that's unmistakablecreative.com slash prime. So does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> it, it does. And it, it leads to another question. So one of the things that I think I've you know become aware of as, as I've done this project for 10 years is how important it is to expose yourself to different perspectives, particularly ones that you disagree with, um, particularly in a world where you have the ability to consume media that reinforces uh, and confirms your existing beliefs. And it seems to me that you were in an environment in which you had beliefs that conflicted with the environment. And what I wonder is how you found common ground with the people that you fundamentally disagreed with. Wow. I... I don't know as if I have, to be quite candid. I So the story behind it is for many years, I very much twisted and contorted and kind of lived in a facade around my parents. And then with my husband and our family um, and friends beyond that, we I lived a completely different life. So when we would go see my my parents, um, and my father has since passed. But when we we would go, I would give debrief him like, okay, no John Stewart, no South Park, no <laughs> Howard Stern, like don't cuss, don't drink, don't and and I it really kind of the antithesis of the work I do now. Yeah. And I think it kind it came to a head in 07 when my father passed away. And I I had a background in makeup artistry. So I knew that for his viewing, for his funeral, that I was going to do the makeup. I was going 
to do makeup on my dead dad. And I also spoke at the service of hundreds of people. And that same day, so needless to say, I felt like I was fucking winning at daughter, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm doing makeup on my dead dad. I'm checking off all the good boxes there. I thought my mom finds it the most opportune time to tell me that she feels as though my father and her had failed as parents because the three of us kids were not, quote, walking with the Lord. Wow. And that, and, and, and also a bit of context, I had been working since I was 14. I had put myself through college. Uh, my parents never paid for college. Um, I got married when I was young, moved out, had still have an amazing relationship with my husband and was very self-sustaining, juxtaposed against my two younger brothers who did jail time, you know, kind of were the, <laughs> the quintessential bad kids, right? So here I am lumped into that group as a failure because, because I, I don't subscribe to the religion I was raised in. And that really was the pivotal moment for me that I realized, okay, you either continue down this path where you shield and hide who you truly are and what you truly believe. And I'm bisexual, by the way, another <laughs> like, hey, mom, guess what? And hide all of those things, what you truly believe, allow your silence to make you a liar. Or you say, you know what? If push comes to shove and it, I have to choose between making you happy or making me happy, I choose me. And that that was the impetus. That was the genesis. And after that point, holy shit, I became combative. It was like the flood gates opened and I just wanted to pick fights about everything. So I'm like, yeah, let's talk about gay rights. Yeah, let's talk about abortion. Let's talk about this. Um, and And I think I was really, it was a culmination of so much pain and guilt and shame throughout the entirety of my childhood. And, and it, it really became misdirected towards my mom. And even though I still feel very, very strongly about the content and what I shared, I, this is sort of the whole letting go of, of really being a dick and how you deliver information that I talk about now is yeah. I didn't have to be so ill-intended. I didn't have to be so malicious with her. And, uh, but still to this day, our conversations are quite vapid because the things that are of incredible importance to her are, are in direct opposition with mine. And so the, and if I'm really honest, and this happened right around the time of the election in 2016, I really wanted to have thoughtful conversations and I wanted to look at, you know, some of these very specific differences of beliefs. And I came away from that conversation just really disappointed in my mom and feeling like there was just such a true lack of intellect. Um, like there was just no thoughtful conversation to be had. Um, so, I mean, that's a very long answer to say, I don't know as if I do have a lot of conversations with, with people from my past. Yeah. Um, here and there, uh, and, you know, this friend of mine now who was our realtor and we've become great friends and, and she's been fantastic because she is incredibly smart and we are able to say, here's the perspective, here's what you're not hearing on the media. Here's how things are being skewed. Mm. So, 
So we mentioned brothers who served jail time. Uh, yep. There's numerous things here. So I think two or three different questions coming from this. What's been the impact of your relationship uh, you know, on your relationship with your siblings of the fact that they have served jail time? Um, what's the impact of uh, being bisexual on your relationship with your husband? And what, Ooh. I mean, I think you've alluded to kind of what the relation, the impact has been on your relationship with your mother from all of that. Yeah. Okay. So I'll start with my siblings, my brothers, uh, they learned very early on not to compare their journey with mine. I think they, would try to say things to my parents like, well, you let Amy do this or you let, and <laughs> my dad would say, well, Amy's had a job since she was 14. How about you get a job? You know, and, and they kind of shut up real quick because they realized they were going to get schooled about summer school and about all the shit that I would do. Um, now, now it's quite interesting. So my, my baby brother, who I'm very, very close with, he's the, the youngest one. He, we're five years apart. He he and I are incredibly close. He's definitely one of my best friends. And he has since told me that when he was he was locked away for just about a year, um, both were drug offenses, uh, both brothers. And uh, actually, one was running and evading uh, also with drugs. And he he told me that I was the only person who consistently visited him and consistently put money on his books. And that was, I, I had no idea because he, the baby was very much the shining star in the family as far as like he was the jock. He had a lot of innate athletic ability and uh, the middle one had a lot of learning disabilities. I believe may have, um, may, may be autistic. He's incredibly brilliant in a lot of ways, but does struggle in, in some social forums. Um, I don't know. He was, you know, born in the 80s so everything was ADD back then and so I don't think he's ever really been diagnosed so uh the relationship now I think with the youngest one I don't know as if that jail time has affected us in anything other than it being a very uniting time for us you know I I was working as a trainer in a makeup company at the time and so I was traveling a lot and I made it a point to drive an hour and a half to see him every single week. And I think that has left a lasting imprint in that relationship. Mm. And yeah. yeah, so we're still very close. The middle one is quite an anomaly to me, uh, quite the enigma, I'd say, because he he's one of those. Perhaps you are this way. I hope not. But when you write like a big old long thing and a text message to someone and they write back, K. <laughs> <laughs> That's him. Yeah. Uh, so it's and I'm incredibly expressive and demonstrative and tell me all your feelings and all these things. And and uh, so I honestly don't know if I know him as deeply as I would like to. Mm. And um, but he now has three children. And so we're he's the only one who has had children of wow. the three of us. So we we now get to connect a little bit more. But it's it's it has been pretty surface, to be honest. Um. Bisexuality on my marriage. That's interesting. So when we, we've been together for almost 22 years, I think married, for, no, almost 23 married for 21. And, you know, I got married very young. I got married when I was 20. I just turned 20, but I was a hundred percent sure even more so now than I was then. And 
I had a situation where I was in a dance company and I kind of fell for or had a crush on one of the gals who I was dancing with. And so we we talked through it and he, to his credit, he has just been such an incredible human around not making me wrong and around not taking any of that to mean that there's a threat to our relationship or to my attraction to him. And uh, and now <laughs> it's quite funny because we very much have the same taste in women. So he'll he'll make a comment. I'll be like, damn, yes, totally. You know, <laughs> uh, but we don't really get the the opposite if I'm swooning over a man. Mm-hmm. But we're just both very respectful around that. And um and also equal very incredibly committed. So Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, 
you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with tap to pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. I don't know if you want any more juiciness yeah, no, around no. that one. Uh, I mean, I'm sure that's a whole rabbit hole we could do an hour on just that alone. But um, <laughs> yeah. One thing you mentioned is that this time uh, with your brother in jail actually, uh, you know, created sort of a sense of unity between you. And yet, in most cases, what that does is divide and tear families apart. Uh, why do yeah. you think that turned out so differently with you guys? Uh, I think because I remember writing him a letter. And I said in, in that letter, we're going to look back at this time and say that was just the beginning of our friendship. And I don't know if that was me being, you know, somewhat of a soothsayer or trying to <laughs> predict the future, but I just felt I don't know, so intuitively that I needed to be there for him. And and I and, and interesting enough, when the other one in the middle one ended up doing jail time later, I felt like I I really really fell short because I didn't have as much of the connection to him. And I didn't, I, I definitely went to see him, but I, I really went through sort of a guilt around that. Like I, I'm not as there for him as I was for the youngest one. So I don't know as if there is any real poignant reason why other than my speculation and theory around us just being more soulfully connected. I think it's the same theory around soul tribes or, you know, soulmates that there are some people that you are viscerally and spiritually connected to and sometimes they're family and most of the time they're not. And for many of us, I think that's where our familial guilt comes in is where we feel like we should really be close to siblings or to parents or to whoever in our family. And we're just not like truth be told, if we weren't related to them, we would never, ever, ever be associated with them. And I'm so grateful that my, my baby brother really, we really are soulfully connected. So that really is the only delineation that I could note. Mm, wow. So how did you go from being this person who was driven by fear and guilt and becoming incredibly combative to doing the work that you do today? Like what leads to this? Oh, I just got a little bit of therapy and everything changed. <laughs> um, no, I would say it was such a journey, Srini. It was such a long process. And it's one of the things that when I talk to my students and clients about it now, they're like, gosh, you just come up with that verbiage or that language so easily. And I'm like, listen, I have had well over a decade of practice. And I think it's only been since recently that things have really rolled off my tongue. Well, I'd say within the last five years or so, where where it really has been second nature to speak up for myself in in any and all situations. And it was, I think a large part of it was it landing into the field of coaching and realizing, oh, here's that spiritual piece that I've been missing. Here's what I've always felt but that I didn't have a name for it before. I thought I, I had to worship a deity in order to get this sort of knowledge or information. And so I would say just being in the field of coaching, first of all, 
changed everything for me. And probably in about 2015, I went through a major rebranding. I used to work with quite a bit in the field of marriage and relationships and how to make how to make marriage work. And I decided to shift that in 2015. And you know, when you go back and you look at like, what am I good at? Or what do people come to me for? You know, you kind of are reevaluating. I had been discussing it with some colleagues and they said, one of the things you're so great at is helping people find their voice, but then actually using it. And I think it wasn't really until I put that kind of moniker on it that I realized, okay, that's this whole idea of speak up for yourself without being a dick or without being an asshole is I always thought that up until that point to get your point across. And I I also think this can be disproportionate to women that if you want to be heard, if you want to be seen, if you want to stand out, if you want to be an authority, you have to be rugged and abrupt and harsh and curt and strong. And there really isn't room for softness or compassion or kindness or empathy. And it was kind of through that whole personal excavation that I realized, holy shit, you can speak up for yourself and be incredibly kind. You know, you can ask for a divorce and do that with the utmost compassion. You can ask adult children to move out of the house and do that with extreme kindness. All these things that we think call for yelling and screaming or, or you know, isolating and shutting people off, um, it actually doesn't have to be the case. Those things can actually coexist. Yeah. So it it was a very long process, lots of my own coaching, like being coached by others. Um, yeah. And I think it's still, it's still evolving. Yeah. Let's, let's talk deeper about this whole idea of finding your voice and using it. But yeah. where I want to start, I think is, is with something that um, you and I were talking about before we, we hit record here. I said, you know, I think that when I started to just analyze this thread, I was looking, I was like, what are my most popular pieces of content? The stuff that, you know, went viral have in common. And it was one thing, it was a very, very, very bold and opinionated point of view where I was like, you know, not pulling any punches. But yeah. I think particularly, you know, in the world that we play in, in the world of personal development, in the world of, of entrepreneurship, in the world of doing anything online, one of the first things that most people do is seek validation from figures of authority. Um, yes. And I see it, you know, when people work with their coaches, it's like, oh, this person is the person who has the holy grail. Like they put that person on a pedestal. Why do they do that? And how do they stop? Oh, why? so you're asking me that. Like, yeah. why? Okay. Well, I think because naturally when we see something that we aspire to, that is something that we want to also embody. And and if it is paired with somebody who speaks with authority and confidence, I mean, that's basic NLP stuff, right? Neuro-linguistic program. That's basic. The stronger frame will always absorb the lower frame or the lesser frame. So if somebody is speaking with authority and at the same time, they have things in their life or they are embodying certain traits that you aspire to, I think we put a lot of stock in that. Mm-hmm. And I, I also think that it is an incredible responsibility for personal development, experts, authorities, et cetera, to cons- especially in the field of life coaching, to be pointing people back to their truth. So one of the things that I say to my, my clients all the time is, I am not interested in creating a bunch of people who cannot survive without me. That is the exact antithesis of what coaching is about. 
And every time I give you something to explore, to look at, I want you to always say, that's Amy's truth. Is that true for me? Is that landing with me? Is that hitting home with me? Because that's just creating a bunch of more religions. We <laughs> we don't need that. Um, no. Yeah. I'm curious if you have an alternative well, um, perspective I, on no, it. I, I appreciate that you brought this up because you mentioned the word responsibility. And this is a conversation I've been having with my roommates a lot. Um, I often see... Uh, one of the things that I think troubles me about the world of coaching, and I've been a pretty vocal critic of, of coaches in general, even though we've had plenty of them on the show, mainly because I like some of their stories, um, where I feel like often, you know, people encourage delusional optimism um, and leave people to pick Ugh. up the pieces. It's like, hey, join my $10,000 coaching program. And by the way, if you're broken, you know, I'm off gallivanting around the world, uploading my picture perfect life to Instagram. Um, it's not my problem that you're suffering. I feel like they don't have skin in the game necessarily. And we encourage delusional optimism to a degree that is incredibly dangerous. Uh, and so one, I wonder what you have to say about that. So I, I do think that we often have to consider context too, because people will give yes. advice and there's always a private interest problem. Like the one I always come back to is when I hear some you know influencer say, oh, everybody should start a podcast. I'm like, that is utter bullshit. No, not because you we not. have a podcast, but because, you know, it's like, oh, let me get this straight. The person who sells a course on how to do this is telling you to do it. Like that is a huge conflict of interest that most people don't recognize because they're so blinded by the bias of influence. And I think that that plays yes. out in coaching too. It's like, oh, well, this person has this extraordinary life. So if I basically spend all the money they're telling me to spend on them, then I'll have that extraordinary life too. Um, so I, I think that there's a sort of fine line of bias that we have to be very mindful of when it comes to figures of authority. Absolutely. I could not agree with you more. I I actually did a podcast episode called How to Know If Your Life Coach is a Poser because I do think that there are there's also a multitude of establishments showing up saying I'll teach you how to be a coach and they're not accredited. They're no, there's no basis of education. They're not tenured. They're not battle tested. And so unfortunately, it's one of those careers where you can very easily just hang up a shingle and say, I'm a life coach. And there's not, there's not a whole lot of licensure or things like that, that you can go, wait a minute. No, you're not. So, you know, I, I think what you're speaking to here is also the problem with pretty much all authority you know, whether it's I can help you with your finances or I can help you with losing weight or I can help you with, you know, any t the way in which you can position yourself online is anybody can make them seem like they have perceived value. Yeah. And I do think that there's a real issue with. Oh, God, I fucking hate the whole like, just think positive or just believing. I'll, let, I'll get right on that. How? How? <laughs> That's so, so ambiguous. There's mm -hmm. no tactile steps. There's no understanding of what somebody might be going through. And I also think that if you take into socioeconomic status, there are a lot of things that disproportionately affect people of color that you cannot, especially myself as a white woman, I cannot stand up here and talk to certain groups about hardship and say, just overthink that and work through it no. without being a total asshole. Like, I really do think you have to have a specific amount of context and you have to understand um, the demographic and who you're working with and also slow your fucking roll sometimes, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I do think it's really incredibly important to continue to grow and to continue to be a student. 
I I do know exactly what you're talking about, where people who have become, I see it a lot in business, like business coaches. I'm a business coach and I can teach you how to be a business coach, but the only way I make money is by teaching you how to be a business coach. I'm right. not really helping any businesses be <laughs> lucrative or <laughs> anything like that. And th- there's been a lot of that, that, that floats around. Mm-hmm. But the same way I think that... You could go to an acupuncturist who doesn't really resonate with you. You could go to a therapist. I think a lot of reason why therapy fails for people is because A, it's prescribed, somebody made them go, or B, they are with somebody that they don't feel completely safe with. And I think it's the exact same thing with coaching. Mm -hmm. I think it's about acknowledging, do I really value this individual? Do I feel any sort of an initial pull to them. I think that's important. But then for God's sake, please do your homework mm-hmm. um, because charisma and being dynamic is incredibly alluring. It's like, let me throw money at you. So yeah. I have to really recognize that because I'm incredibly attracted to charisma. And so it, being somebody who wants to continually invest in my business, I have to watch myself, Be, you know, and I'm like, okay, I have that initial attraction. I have that initial like, yes, there's something right. Now go do your due diligence. Make sure that they have viable credentials. Make sure that they have actual testimonials and results. And um, and then, you know, make make a de- decision if it's a good investment for you. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate the fact that you're being very candid about this because I remember when we had Kate Soboda here and she said, Trini, I know you're feeling on life coaches. I've been a long-term listener of the show. I mean, you pretty much basically called the field nonsense in your in your own books. And like I said, we've had plenty of them and some of them are incredible guests. Like, I don't think they're all full of shit. Um, but what I did appreciate about what she said is she said there are a lot of people who are basically dealing with problems that they are totally unqualified to deal with. She said like sexual yeah. trauma. She's like, that's the kind of stuff that belongs in the office of a trained professional. Yes. You know, like, and that, that's where I worry is when we start to play with fire in that way, because the consequences of that are so dangerous. You know, um, so Kate is a really good friend of mine actually. And I have mixed feelings about that because that is my, that's my initial I remember actually having a conversation with Kate about her school and about getting credentialed through the ICF and things like that. And I really, I have always been on that side of, no, if it is a clinical issue, if it is severe trauma, if it's depression, if it's this, if that, that goes through psychology, that goes through psychotherapy, that goes through uh, trained professionals, right? And I had said, I remember talking to her and I said, if I... If somebody was like, oh, I can cut hair really amazingly, but they had not, they had not gone through state boards, they had not gone to hair cutting school, I'd be like, fuck off. No, I want to know that you've actually jumped through the hoops. And I remember her argument at the time was like, I don't think I would. I think I would really look at, is this a change that you can create for me? And, and that would be something that would be highly influential for me. Now, granted, this conversation was probably a good seven years ago or so. Yeah. Um, now, it's so interesting to me. I would say, by and large, it is incredibly negligent and harmful to ever practice outside of scope. And at the coaching school that I went to, and I know definitely at Kate's school, they're very, very clear about what is in the realm of coaching and what is not. There's a lot that's been highly bastardized out there, but 
there are institutions that are very clear that this is not not your realm. Mm-hmm. This is advocational self improvement, no. um, or vocational self improvement. It's not not for those serious traumatic issues. However, my husband is in the field of body work and massage therapy, and he does a very specific type called structural integration. And we both have seen situations where traditional Western approaches have been almost more traumatic. And I can't tell you how many times people have said, I've unraveled stuff with you that I could not do in 12 years of therapy. Or people who have worked with him that that people have said, I've had six surgeons tell me the next step is, you know, a complete you know, spinal fusion or something like that. And now I'm moving the way I did when I was 20. So I don't think that there's a perfect answer. I think there probably are far more clowns out there, to your point, um, than really educated, viable people who can really, truly create help and not harm. Um, But I do think it's also incredibly important that we start challenging some of these older notions of medicine and therapy in particular. I remember reading not too long ago in Psychology Today that it was this brand new idea in the field of of psychology around self-talk and monitoring self-talk. And I'm like, how the fuck do you help anybody without talking about self-talk, which is sort of a cornerstone of of, um, coaching. So, Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of which, let's let's talk about um, this whole idea of finding your voice because self-talk is obviously part of that voice, um, using it and standing up for yourself. Because I think, as I alluded to, I think that you cannot stand out in this world without a point of view. And at this point, in my yeah. mind, standing out is not a matter of success. It's a matter of survival. Yeah. <laughs> so, Especially for an online business. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So how in the world, because that whole idea of finding your voice, I know this because I, I just finished teaching a mastermind to, yeah, about people, you know, with a, a group called Loyal Audience Mastermind. And I told them, I was like, this is an iterative process. Like we love the idea that there's some sort of life hack or formula to be like, oh, I'm going to just do this, this, and this, and out will come my, my magical, unique voice. And that has not been my experience. So what goes into this? Like, what is the framework behind this that um, allows people to do it and express themselves without being a dick? Because I've realized, you know what? Inevitably, even if you try to do this without being a dick, people will think you're one. Right. And that's a very, very different thing. So I oftentimes will say you're responsible for your intention, not your reception. So if your intention is to be one of uh, ill intent, to be malicious towards others, then yeah, you should kind of feel bad about that. You're your motivation is to harm. But if your intention is one of authenticity, of speaking up for yourself, of um, shining your light, of not being censored, then you know that's what you're responsible for. You cannot at all control the reception. That, And that's one of our greatest problems, I think, is always trying to control the reception. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the way in which I look at it and sort of where's the place to start, like how the hell do I even find my voice? I think it's very different for something that if we're talking about, you know, who I, who I am I in my business or who do I want to be as a writer or as a creative, it's a little bit different than or more nuanced of what I talk about in, in the work that I do. Because by and large, what I deal with are people who constantly and chronically silence themselves when they're offended, when they are really hurt by something, when they 
feel the need to take care of everybody else's emotions at all costs. And that's where they tend to choose silence over personal power. So the first place that I always point people towards is what is the shit you chronically complain about or with whom? Because a lot of times what happens is if you're really upset with your partner, your best friend gets an earful. Or if you're super frustrated with your mom, then your partner gets the earful or whoever. Like you definitely express yourself or tend to. It's just oftentimes we don't share that with the actual person who needs to hear it. So that's the first item of business is I would say, are there areas where you're chronically complaining or bitching about somebody's behavior or what they've said or done and you've chosen silence as the solution? That's the first place to go, okay, there's an opportunity for me to speak up. There's an opportunity for me to find my voice. Yeah. So let, let, let's do a bit of a deeper dive into that because me and my dad have this conversation about, you know, when my mom makes me angry, he's like, look, he's like, if you speak up, we're all going to have hell to pay. He said, just just you know, be quiet. And the, the funny thing is there are certain points where you're like, yeah, this just isn't worth it for the, the, for the blowback because nothing is going to change as a result. You know, granted, you know, like we've managed to find common ground. We still have our differences. Uh, and I'm realizing more and more now that I'm talking to you, even it's probably because we're so much alike. We're both incredibly opinionated people. Um, which is yep. why we bash heads, you know, like tend to bash heads so much over things. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind is, okay, great. Like we know there are places, people whose behavior we complain about or places where we tend to silence ourselves. And there are times when restraint actually is a better option, uh, you know, because I'm like, okay, I can, I remember this was the, the stupid thing. I remember going to my therapist's office uh, and I was like, listen, my mom is bitching at me about the way that I load the dishwasher. Um, which, by the way, there's a hilarious oatmeal cartoon about this. It turns mm-hmm. out this is like unanimous among all sorts yes. of people. And he told me, and I was like, and it turns into this huge fight. And he said, listen, he was like, six months of you and I talking. He said, what you should realize is you can either engage in battle with your mom over this pointless bullshit, or you can realize that there is no point to it. Um, yes. So where is that line? Well, here's the thing that I think is missing in that argument is there is a totally different area of not having to actually get involved in the combat and simply saying, I don't see that your way, or I don't share that opinion, but I respect that that's yours. That is a totally, completely acceptable answer. So for example, my my middle brother and I have very different opinions about guns. And I think oftentimes we think that if we are going to speak up for ourselves, what that means is I need to get into a full-blown conversation and plead my case and defend my side. It doesn't. Sometimes what all that's being called for is a simple, I don't share that opinion and I'm not going to get further into it. And that's what I think we need to start doing because my personal perspective is that we have all these idioms around don't rock the boat, don't open up a can of worms, better sweep it under the rug. We have all these ways to say, shut the fuck up and don't don't pick that battle. But what we're really doing is we're saying it is more important to make that other person feel okay than it is for you to speak up for yourself. And what that is oftentimes is a self-worth thing. Like, you know, that person's wants, opinions, needs are more important than mine. 
Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important that we don't allow silence to make us a liar. I, and that's that's my personal perspective is I'm not going to go along with something or be complicit with something that I don't agree with without mm-hmm. being vocal about it. But it does not mean a full-blown conversation. So I will shut that shit down real quick. Like with my brother, he'll want to keep going, going, going. And I'm like, I told you already, I'm not going to engage with you about this conversation. Mm-hmm. I don't share that opinion. And I don't think that it's going to be um, very productive for us to continue conversing and it will literally walk away from him. So that's what I would suggest with your mom Mm -hmm. is you may choose, I'm going to do it her way in her home, um, or whatever, but you could certainly say, I don't share that opinion, but I will do this to make you happy. Well, it's funny because I texted my dad, the oatmeal cartoon, and he said, don't send this to your mom, um, which I will send you the oatmeal cartoon because it's hilarious, but okay, um, cool. The other, the, so the other thing I wonder about, this also is like an expression of boundaries thing. And I see this with myself. I see this with friends where, you know, it, I think that, that I think women do this. And I know men do this as well, where, you know, we talk about not rocking the boat. Often we will not speak up out of fear of losing that person or, you know, in any other context. Like I can tell you, like somebody asked me once, what's the common pattern between all your relationships that didn't work out? I was like a lack of boundaries. It took me 20 years to figure out that I had no boundaries in my life. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't willing to say what I was not okay with um, yeah. because I was so scared that that would be the end. In fact, like I just had my best friend here as a guest and he had to come home to his fiance six months before their wedding, right after just getting a new mortgage and explain to her that he got laid off from his job. And I asked him, uh, my question to him was like, didn't you think she was going to leave you? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Which that says, I think more about my history with relationships than his, but Yes. That is one of, I think, a perfect example of a moment when fear would keep somebody from saying what they're okay with and what they're not okay with. Yes, absolutely. Well, and we have to know that, you know, primitively, you're not off base. You know, we have fear that is to help keep us stay, to stay safe. And even if we look at something like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, one of our major human needs is one of belonging. And that stems from, you know, days of old. If you were not a part of a group, that meant impending death. So it's not at all far-fetched to me to think of worrying about being abandoned or worrying about being left by a partner we're wired for connection. We're wired to want to preserve that at all costs. So knowing that, I think we can give ourselves an extreme amount of compassion that, okay, I'm wired to do this. And I'm also not trying to survive tigers and lions and stuff anymore. So I can analyze this fear a little bit and look at the more conscious, evolved perspective of what is the healthiest choice for me and my relationship. And So one of the things that I use all the time is an acronym that I put together called FMT or find my truth. And so the F stands for what are the facts of the situation? What are the facts? The facts are I got laid off. What? And then the M stands for what am I making up? Well, what I'm making up is, and this might be what you were describing, what I'm making up is that she's going to leave me or that I'm never going to get another job again or that I'm going to be destitute or that's going to cause this huge fight, whatever, whatever I'm making up. A lot of times we do this grandiose jump from the facts to what our conclusion is. And then the T stands for what is the truth. And sometimes you have to evaluate what is my truth and what is somebody else's truth. Because somebody else might still think you've handled yourself poorly or whatever, but you have to come back to that anchor of 
what is true for me? So that's what I would impart to him. What is true for you? What is true about your relationship? And I would have him look at, you know, I would hope, well, what's true is that I know that this isn't going to be the first hardship that we have to face. Uh, What's true is I want a relationship founded on honesty and integrity. What's true is if I'm going to be a partner with this woman or a man, I don't know if you said if it was... It was a woman. But I mean, it's woman. funny because even hearing yeah. you say that, he pretty much echoed everything you're saying as to why he knew it wouldn't end. Awesome. Make him a life coach like everybody <laughs> else. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah. Wow. Wow. This has been awesome. Um, I've learned so much just talking to you about this. So um, I have one final question for you, uh, which sure. is how we finish all of our interviews. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? You know, God, it's so cliche as a life coach, but it's it's so catchy as a term, but it's it's authenticity. Yeah. And I don't feel like we see that as often as we would like. And it's it's the people who um let down the facade, who say things like, you know what, I actually don't agree with that, or I don't share that opinion. Um or no, that really makes me uncomfortable. Like being open about emotions. To me, it's about really being honest about the human experience because we're running around with that mask on so much of the time, mm-hmm. um, even subconsciously. So wow. I'm going to go with that authenticity. Well, it's funny because now you make me realize I need to write a blog post about the true meaning of authenticity. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. Um, well, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join us and uh, share your story and your insights uh, with our listeners. Where can people find out more about you, your work, and uh, everything that you're up to? Yeah, so my little corner of the internet is thejoyjunkie.com. Uh, junkie is J-U-N-K-I-E. Tons of free stuff. I have a podcast, workshops, ebooks. So come stalk me out, get some free shit, and I hope you hang out. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unmistakable Creative Podcast. While you were listening, were there any moments you found fascinating, inspiring, instructive, maybe even heartwarming? Can you think of anyone, a friend or a family member who would appreciate this moment? If so, take a second and share today's episode with that one person, because good ideas and messages are meant to be shared. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.